Welcome back to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese culture and history through the lens of historical Chinese dramas. I am your host, Karen, and today it's just going to be me. Today we are discussing episode 72 of the story of Minglan or Can you believe this? We are on our second to last episode of this drama. So here's the game plan for today. I will do a drama episode recap, but because there are so many themes and drama analysis to dissect, we will do at least another episode after the finale to wrap things up. For today's episode, it will be a lot of plot recap, and I'm going to try to flush it out as best as I can because there are so many scenes that just happen for maybe like two minutes, but it's crucial to what's going on for the overall understanding of kind of the final confrontation. So I'll do my best to go through what's happening. And yeah, honestly, it's one of the biggest gripes that I have because in this episode, you're going around so many things with so many emotions happening that it's hard to kind of keep track. But then what that means is we will do the same kind of thing for the next episode, for episode 73, and then we will have a final episode where we chat more about themes and um, overall impressions of the drama. I feel like I could write essays and essays about the things that I liked or the, the key takeaways from this drama um, and why it's such a, I guess, favorite or now going to be a classic, I assume. But anyways, we're going to keep uh, a lot of that for not the next episode, but the following episode. So for episode 72, we start out with Minglan back at the Cheng Garden. So that's her residence with Gu Tingye after a draining last couple of days. Madame Qin, so her evil stepmother-in-law, and her headmaid Xiang Mama are mirthlessly pleased that Minglan is weak, which signals that she's not long for the world. Madame Qin's entire plan is to get rid of Gu Tingye and Minglan so that her son can inherit the title of Marquis. The thing is, for Minglan... It's not all bad because her close family have arrived to keep watch of her. It's really quite sweet. Her grandmother is there, her second brother Chang Bai, her father, and her stepdaughter Rongjie are all there helping her watch her and her son. Minglan advises her father and brother to stay home from court these few days to avoid any unnecessary drama, which they agree to. Xiang Mama appears shortly after to request Minglan's presence in front of Madame Qin. The real motive for this request is, and also Xiang Mama doesn't actually care if Minglan goes to speak to Madame Qin, the real motive is to see exactly how weak Minglan is with her own eyes. Minglan does start coughing a lot more after Xiang Mama arrives and speaks much more weakly uh, than compared to literally moments before. But, I mean, Xiang Mama is rather rude to Minglan and is probably cussed out by literally everyone uh, in the room. Even Rongjie is quite stern with Xiang Mama saying that they do not welcome her. Xiang Mama is ultimately chased out of the room by Minglan's father, Sheng Hong, which is absolutely hilarious, but effective nonetheless. 
Might I dare say that he is now much more attentive to his daughter after her direct conversation with him a few episodes back? Perhaps he is now recognizing that he should make up for not helping Minglan that much while she was growing up or even just paying attention to her. So, I mean, I feel like I've seen a lot more of his attention or attentiveness towards Minglan in the last couple of episodes. But at this point, I don't think there's a whole lot for Minglan to do. She was just rebuffed at the palace and she's rather ill right now. Ultimately, Gu Tingye is going to be exiled after the fall, so they just have to sit tight. It doesn't seem like the palace cares for the crimes of Madame Wang or even the death of Aunt Kong, but rather the palace seems to just want to get rid of Gu Tingye. This level of calm, though, is promptly shattered as the news travels from the western border that war is breaking out. That night, the emperor is evaluating his next steps with a cohort of trusted advisors, including the Duke of Ying, the Prime Minister Han, and Prince Huan, so his son. They were expecting military conflict, but just not so soon, and they are chatting about who best to send to the front lines. Prince Huan suggests sending Gu Tingye. He knows the lay of the land and is a brilliant general. Why not send him out? The next day at court, the support for releasing Gu Tingye on the condition that he can provide service to the empire rises. Many of his old friends stand up to say, why not send him to the front lines? The emperor pushes back on why it has to be Gu Tingye. Is there no one else in the capital that can rise to the occasion? But at this critical juncture of national security, even the Wang family is willing to allow Gu Tingye to head off for war. And so it is decided that Gu Tingye would join the army out west, where he is to be demoted to a lowly foot soldier, rather than have any type of military command. As the army heads out, Minglan and Rongjie tearfully send him off to who knows what challenges he'll experience. But why on earth did the Wang family allow Gu Tingye to leave the capital? After all, the Wang family wants revenge against Gu Tingye for killing Aunt Kong, right? Luckily, we have Madame Qin and Xiang Mama explain this for us while they were at the Gu family shrine. With Gu Tingye locked up in prison, he is ultimately near the emperor and has numerous friends to help him out in the capital. But the moment he is sent out to the border, who knows what his personal safety will be like? No one can ensure that he will remain safe, so it's better for him to be sent off rather than remain in the capital. Sure enough, we hear news shortly after that the elite forces that headed out west have all perished. The emperor is utterly shocked to hear the news and actually passes out at court. Minglan is also told by her friend Madame Zhang that Gu Tingye's group of troops have disappeared without a trace. Everyone is devastated to hear the news that they may have been killed in battle. And now the stage is set for the final confrontation. In 15 minutes or so of this episode, we had Gu Tingye sent off to war and also killed. Now Minglan has to deal with the aftermath. 
One night, Minglan is awoken by her maids that a eunuch from the palace is here with a royal decree. It is hugely important for us to focus on Minglan's first reaction to hearing this news. She asks if it's from the Empress. For folks that watch the next episode, this reaction is very telling as she is waiting for news from the Empress. But no, she is told that the eunuch who arrived is a stranger. Minglan heads to the main hall where the eunuchs request that she head to the palace immediately because the Empress has important matters to discuss. Minglan is quite skeptical and easily sees through the fact that he is not actually a eunuch from the Empress's palace and has this group of eunuchs detained. Minglan immediately orders her staff to send messages across the capital that there are imposters looking to hold family members hostage at court and to not fall for these tricks. In case anyone needs an explanation on what's going on, let's recall the last revolt or coup that happened. Remember, concubine Rome partnered with Prince Yen and gathered up a number of royal relatives and family members of military officials and only military officials. Those women were then held hostage in the palace to prevent military officials from sending troops for fear of hurting their family. That is what is taking place now. But Minglan is prepared. She's seen this happen before and isn't afraid. Or she may have had an inkling of what might happen, so she's prepared. Soon afterwards, the killings start. Soldiers start slaughtering other people and opposing soldiers in the street as a bloody fight erupts in the capital. We're also treated to a scene where a woman is paying off her debt. Okay, this was super confusing in the drama because they gave literally no explanation as to what was happening. The woman in this scene is Wei Hangzhou. She's the prostitute who is a close friend of Gu Tingye. In this scene, she is giving what is clearly the mother of the brothel all the money she's gathered in exchange for her deed as a prostitute. Once she has that piece of paper in hand, she promptly rips it apart to show that she is a free woman. She, along with a man, whom I'm going to assume is her lover, then quickly flee off into the night. Just as other people are being slaughtered in the street, she had a carriage waiting for her to help take her and her lover to safety. This is really a weird, but I guess important scene as to what she, what her purpose was. Um, and I will touch up on this later in this podcast episode. In any case, there is chaos in the streets and the families that we care about are seeking shelter or else preparing for battle. In the Shung family, they are basically locking all doors and making sure they're staying out of the way. Madam Zhang in particular is a total badass as she orders her servants to step up to fight against anyone who dares come into her property. And I think it is because her father was a general. She was raised as the daughter of a general. So that level of gravitas and leadership just came out really um, very apparently. The interesting thing is that the primary target for all of the chaos, though, is the Chung Gardens. Well, at least a lot of the action. 
Within Mingland property, she has her own set of troops, or you could just say men, ready for battle as she is being attacked from both sides, from the main entrance and from the back where Xiang Mama let in numerous assassins from the Gu property to do damage to Minglan and company. Essentially, you have another entrance that you can get into the Cheng Gardens from the Gu property. So that's why Xiang Mama worked with a bunch of assassins and a mysterious figure to let them in. Fortunately, Minglan, like I said, is prepared. She even has a chair set up so she can command the action. <laughs> like, okay. The soldiers outside her house shout that they've been sent by the emperor to escort Mingline into the palace for safety. But as I explained earlier, that is a plot to hold her hostage or kill her. And when she refuses, these soldiers are like, how dare you uh, disobey a direct request from the emperor? We are going to come in and take you by force. When those soldiers try to rush into the property, they are met with a shower of arrows and are forced to retreat. Meanwhile, the assassins that snuck in from the back were also ambushed by Minglan's men, who I don't know if we're fully expecting them, but were at least on alert. Another bloody fight breaks out in the Chung Gardens. The main perpetrators of this revolt reveal themselves shortly after. It is concubine Liu with her brother who commands, I guess, the military uh, presence of the imperial palace. They, along with the empress dowager, it seems, want to change who is in power. Before the brother and sister pair can rush into the imperial quarters where the emperor currently is residing and force him to step down, they must receive a decree from the empress dowager. Concubine Liu hurriedly heads off to meet the Empress Dowager so that she can get uh, this decree so that they can finally take power. It is important in this episode that we do not see the Empress Dowager whatsoever. The fight rages on across the capital and in the Chung Gardens. The soldiers couldn't break through the doors but are now working to scale over the walls of the property. Unfortunately, another menacing figure has made her way into the property. She is none other than Zhu Manmiang, the crazy mother of Hu Tingye's daughter and just all around terrible person. She was let into the property by Xiang Mama and has made her way to where Rongjie and Tuanke Minglan's son, are currently hiding with Chang Momo, the wet nurse, or the nanny. Zhu Manyang, who is still full of vengeance, is here to kill Tuan Ge, and that is the whole reason why Madame Qin allied herself with Zhu Manyang. Madame Qin knows full well that Zhu Manyang will do this unseemly task of killing Minglan and Gu Tingye's son. And so here we have it in the midst of this chaos. Let me use this piece uh, or this chess piece to its fullest potential. Zhu Manyang in the dark room first pushes Chang Wong away and even screams at Rongjie for protecting Tuan Ge. Honestly, this mother is one of the worst I've seen on screen. She goes so far as to throw Rongjie, her own daughter, down on the ground where she hits her head and can't get up. 
I mean, that could have been a really bad fall for Ronjer, like, you know, concussion-inducing. But her mother does not care whatsoever. All Zhu Manyang cares about is killing Tuanggur. Fortunately, in the last moments before Zhu Manyang is able to strike with her dagger, she is knocked down by the MVP, Chang Mo, who hits Zhu Manyang over the head a few times with a very blunt object. Zhu Manyang falls to the ground, dead. Immediately afterwards, Minglan and her servants, who had gathered something was off, rushed over to help the crying Rongjie off the ground. Understandably, Rongjie is upset at seeing her mother killed in front of her, but there's no time to lose. Minglan must protect these two children. Instead of running, she tells the group to lock them in a hidden chamber. That way, they will at least be safe. They make their way over to the hidden chamber and situate the children plus Chang Momo and Shi To, who is left there to make sure the group is safe. And in a scene where I tear up literally every time I see it, Rongjie cries out for Minglan to stay with her. Not only does she try to grab Minglan to stay with her, Rongjie also finally calls Minglan Mutin, the word for mother. Minglan herself is shocked to hear this because Rongjie has always just called Minglan Da Niangzi or Madam. This reflects that Rongjie finally sees Minglan as her mother. Rongjie continues to cry out that it's not safe outside and they should be together as a family. Minglan is so touched but says that don't worry, mother is here to protect you. Like, oh my god, who wouldn't tear up or cry or be emotional at this scene? This is, you know, one of the key themes in the drama of who your family is. And especially for Rongjie, who just lost her actual mother, but that mother didn't do anything for Rongjie. I feel like Rongjie finally recognizes who in her life actually cares about her. And it was certainly not Zhu Manyang. <laughs> Unfortunately, I do feel that Rongjie probably needs some therapy after seeing her mother brutally try to murder her brother and then was ultimately murdered herself. But anyways... We will talk a lot more about this relationship, um, like I said, either in the next episode or in the, fo the following one. The episode ends with an absolutely, at least to me, a hilarious scene. After all of the emotion that just happened with Zhu Manyang and Rongjie, uh, we are cut to more scenes of fighting across the capital as it continues to break out with numerous individuals slaughtered. Even the emperor and empress are surrounded in the capital. But what's this? The camera pans over to a group of soldiers outside of the capital watching the fighting unfold, and it turns out to be Gu Tingye and Shen Guojiu, the state uncle, along with a number of other troops. Clearly, Gu Tingye did not die. And it's not a foot soldier anymore. He is in his general attire. They see the city burning, but are ready to come in as with a flare that lights up the night sky, Gu Tingye and company storm into the capital. This is perfect timing as rebels had rounded up Prime Minister Han himself and his family outside on the streets. They are being told to head to the palace, but Prime Minister Han is resisting. Not allowing this resistance to continue any further, one of the rebel generals, I'm assuming, orders the prime minister to be executed. 
that's a pretty big, like, wow, that's, that's intense. But just before a soldier could strike, he is shot by Gu Tingye and his men who rush by. The entire crowd is shocked that Gu Tingye is alive and well. Isn't he supposed to be dead? The rebel soldiers were surprised to see him return and actually lay down their arms. My reading of this is that maybe those soldiers were lied to about Gu Tingye's death and thus joined the revolt but didn't actually want to. In any case, Gu Tingye and company rush into the capital with the prime minister, and this is where it's super funny, the prime minister is yelling after him of like, what happened? What is going on? Somebody explain to me, blah, blah, blah. I, I don't know. I was like emotional for the scene earlier and then started bursting out laughing, laughing at um, the prime minister's reaction. Importantly, though, even the prime minister refers to Gu Tingye as Marquis Gu or Gu Hou. That shows a level of respect because as we've mentioned already in the last couple of episodes, Gu Tingye has had his title uh, stripped from him. And so for the prime minister to yell after Gu Tingye as Gu Ho is, to me, quite important. Okay, that was the episode recap, but let me go through what happened in the second half of the episode. Ultimately, it is the Empress Dowager's attempt to seize power away from the current emperor. With the military engagement out west, there is no one left in the capital to protect the emperor. Thus, the Empress Dowager leveraged concubine Liu and her brother, who has military command of the palace, to seize control of it by force. It is also quite evident that the Empress Dowager had conspired with Madame Tin in this plot, and because this is important, Madame Tin knew when to let the assassins into the residence, who didn't attack, you know, Xiang Mama at all, which is very, I guess, questionable. And she also didn't have any of these eunuchs come to her property to say, you should come to the capital. No, they left her alone. And more importantly, earlier in the episode, you will have seen that Madame Tin and Xiang Mama were telling a number of servants to fill large pots of water along the walls of their property. Clearly, Madame Tin knew that there was going to be a fight and she was prepared for it. That tells us that Madame Tin was working with the Empress Dowager and that the Empress Dowager had a very large web of allies or maybe not a large web, but a web. Now let's chat briefly about Wei Hangzhou, the prostitute that we saw a random glance at. Again, Kathy's talked about how she doesn't actually appear in the book. So her character, I, I don't think was done very well because we didn't really understand what she was doing here or like so many people missed it. Our reading is that she was paid a handsome sum of money for Intel and that money was then used to pay for her freedom. The intel for whom, though? This has some conflicting evidence or competing theories because Wei Hangzhou is not a character from the book. So you, listeners, will have to decide what, you, what argument you believe. I'll lay out two thoughts. 
on one side, it could be the Empress Dowager who she works for because she knew when to, let's say, leave the capital. For me, that shows that uh, Wei Hangzhou was in on sharing information for the Empress Dowager because otherwise, why would she know what day to have the preset uh, carriage uh, ready for her to escape with her lover? Now, there are other arguments that say that she was actually a spy for Gu Tingye. She did her job to help support him and provided information and whatnot. And at this critical juncture, also knew when the uh, rebel troops were going to revolt. And so that's why she had all the money as payment from Gu Tingye rather than the Empress Dowager to pay off her debt and escape as a free woman. I personally think she is more connected to the Empress Dowager, um, which we will talk about later on in the next episode. But you guys let me know. I think she, this character, at least this scene, was rather a um, a tragedy of how they cut or the production or the director cut the this episode and the next episode, which I don't think, like I've said, was done in the best way, but this is what we have. Lastly, let me explain again why it is so important to round up the important military families and royal family to the Imperial Palace once again. The book also goes into more detail about this because the current plan is, of course, to install concubine Leo's son as emperor. This means deposing the current emperor and killing his son, Prince Huan. However, to do so, the Empress Dowager needs to make sure that she controls the military. The news of Gu Tingye's death was a trigger. The emperor has lost his strongest military supporters. Believing that the emperor is severely weakened, the Empress Dowager decided to seize this opportunity to storm the capital. Then she moved back to lock up all of the military families, with their wives and children taken hostage, the military generals left alive, who just so happened to wield power uh, in the military, will then have to think twice about attacking the capital. Lastly, with all of the military generals held at bay, the armies that the Empress Dowager does control will be a great enough threat for the scholar officials to uh, validate the legitimacy of the new emperor, a.k.a. concubine Leo's son. The scholar officials won't be too happy about it, but they'll do it because, well, look at Prime Minister Han. He was about to be killed out in the street if he didn't comply. This was a very well-thought-out plot, and it moved very swiftly this episode. We'll discuss more about the aftermath in the next episode, but um, we did want to kind of go over the overall plot to clarify some questions that viewers might have.
Okay, that was so much plot. Let me talk about the one piece of culture in today's uh, episode. Early on in the episode, when the emperor and his advisors were discussing the threats along the border, they never actually specify whom or which group they were going to fight. The emperor mentioned a new ruler that was only about 17. I did a check in comparison of the main rival kingdoms during that time of around 1065 AD uh, during the Song Dynasty to see whom it could be. We do have Yelu Hongji of the Liao Emperor to the north. However, he ascended the throne in 1055 and was in his mid-30s during the time of the show, so he's most likely not the right person. We also have Emperor Li Liangqi of Xixiaguo to the southwest. He was most likely whom the emperor in our show was referencing because he was indeed only around 17 or 18 in 1065. Though I do believe that the uh, show kind of just threw away a line to say, oh, this person. Otherwise, I feel like they would have specified. In any case, this emperor... Li Liangqi focused a lot on expanding diplomatic relations with the powerful neighbors to his east and north, namely the Song and Liao dynasties. Part of this was because of his challenging upbringing. He became emperor at one years old of age in 1048, but the Empress Dowager acted as a regent. In 1056, this Empress Dowager was killed and the boy's uncle served as regent. The uncle plotted to kill him, but was exposed and executed in 1061. So this guy endured quite a bit by the time he was 17. And that is all we have really for culture. It was a throwaway reference and everything else in this episode is really plot driven. And so with that, let me move on to some book similarities and differences. And there is quite a bit to chat about. The drama makes its way back to and weaves itself again to coincide with much of the book after deviating from a lot in the last couple of drama episodes, which means I can also spend some time to discuss book similarities, differences, and also thoughts on the decisions. First off, Gu Tingye was never sent to prison in the book, so he never lost his title or status. The emperor did send him away to the Western Front to fight against neighboring invaders, though. In the book, he was also paired off with the Duke of Ying, but he was sent off as part of the vanguard or advance guard, not as a foot soldier. Because Gu Tingye is still a marquee when he left, the implications for Minglan were also different. When news traveled that he might have died, the worry for Minglan was that there might be additional punishment passed down to the family. As long as Gu Tingye didn't commit treason then, Minglan and her children would be relatively safe. At this point in the book, Minglan is actually heavily pregnant with their second child. Minglan's son, Tuanggu, would still inherit the title of Marquis, which in the drama is not the case. This also meant that Madame Qin wasn't openly gloating about Gu Tingye's death because the Marquis title wouldn't pass to her son as we saw her being happy about in the drama. For that to happen, Minglan and her son would also need to be killed, which brings us back to the drama in which Madame Qin plotted to kill Minglan when Gu Tingye was supposedly dead. And that brings us to the coup. At the beginning, the events in the book and drama are pretty similar with the fact that a eunuch from the palace was sent to summon Minglan and she discovered the ruse. 
In the book, she did send word to other families as a warning against entering the palace and preparing for the attack in her home. Now, here's where the differences come in. In the book, Minglan already hid her son in a very safe location, and Rongtie wasn't with her brother. She was instead placed uh, safely with Madame Shao, Hu Tingye's older brother's widow and mother to Xianjie. So essentially, Rongjie went to her aunt and cousin's place. This wasn't because she didn't care for Rongjie, at least for Minglan, but because Minglan wanted to split the potential targets. Unfortunately, someone did tattle on Tuanggur's location and almost had disastrous consequences. The culprit, specifically, is one of Minglan's maids. She spelled the hiding place to one of Minglan's sister-in-law's maids slash concubines, and this concubine in the book was in league with Madame Tin. The concubine then uh, persuaded Madame Shao, the aunt, to take the young girls to the hiding location of where Tuanggu was staying, which then allowed her, the concubine, to lead bandits into the room with the aim of killing Tuanggu. In the book, the fight was very bloody. Rongjie came to the rescue, but at a pretty big cost to herself. She killed one of the bandits, but her hand was also slashed. She held off the attackers just long enough for Minglan's guard to come in to the rescue. Unlike the book, Zhu Manyang doesn't come to try to kill Tuanggur. We think it was fine with how the drama handled all of these changes, because as we've mentioned before, Zhu Manyang doesn't actually die in the book. She becomes crazy when her son dies at the very end, based on her own actions. I do appreciate that the drama allows for a final confrontation between Zhu Manyang and her daughter, Rongjie, um, which where she chose to help her stepbrother and stepmother over her crazy birth mother. In the book, Rongjie also makes this choice, but uh, not in as dramatic of a fashion. Something that's fun um, to know is that in the book, Hu Tingye doesn't rush back the same night. Instead, Minglan deals with everything on her own and while heavily pregnant. Wow. See, there's nothing stopping a heavily pregnant woman from still being a pretty badass woman. She clearly is a badass person in this episode, but she was even more so in the book. Okay, and that is it for today's podcast episode. So much that we had to dissect from a plot perspective, but we will continue on with what happened in the final episode or the final drama episode um, for next week. And we will round out um, the story of Ming Lan with a final episode after that to conclude with our thoughts and thematic analysis of the overall drama. The music you heard today is the zither piece called Lan with sheet music by Bingjiu Won Yojun and played by yours truly. Uh, if you are in the States and are looking for a spot to watch Chinese movies and dramas, please do check out our sponsor, Jubao TV, which has a number of shows and movies with English subtitles to watch and are all free. If you are watching them online, you can check them out on uh, the website Zumo, XUMO, or if you are watching them on TV, head on over to Xfinity and Cox Contour.
Once again, thank you so much for listening and we will catch you in the next episode.